It is a truth universally acknowledged that anyone in possession of good taste must be in want of a good football podcast. And so, ladies and gentlemen, I give you BR Football Ranks. No pride here, no prejudice, just sense and sensibility and plenty of persuasion. So whether you're listening in Austin or London, whether you're on the road or at Vanity Fair, be you Dubliners or Midnight's children, you're ever so welcome here at Rank Squad HQ. I've got great expectations for today's episode, so let's hope that things don't fall apart, that we can talk about some of the world's most beloved players and that's adventures in Wonderland rather than 100 Years of Solitude, the trial or the big sleep. Come on in then to this brave new world and let's introduce these three musketeers. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your narrator today. Your Sal Paradise, the Dean Moriarty and Carlo Marx sat either side of me. The only people for me are the mad ones, the ones who are mad to live, mad to talk, mad to be saved, desirous of everything at the same time. And so without further ado, I give you a man living the high life like Jay Gatsby, our very own James Bond in the circles of football agents, Dean Jones. I wish I could read you like a book, Jack, because I'd have stopped you earlier. And, and our very own Ulysses, a hero for the modern age, as divisive as Holden Caulfield and as knowledgeable as Sherlock Holmes. It's the rank god, Sam Ty. Well, I at least appreciated your intro. Thanks very much, mate. I've, you know, a man of taste, a man of culture. Right then, Dean, one for you. Light the goblet of fire. It's time for hot takes. <laughs> I don't read enough, but I do watch a lot of football. Um, and one game that I watched at the weekend was the Bundesliga match between Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund. End result, Bayern Munich 5, Borussia Dortmund nil. Bayern Munich move to the top of Bundesliga. They're one point clear. They gave them an absolute lesson in football. Pasting. A pasting. It was completely humiliating for Dortmund, who actually had an early chance to go 1-0 up and then just completely collapsed. Everything fell apart for them. Things um, fall apart. <laughs> look, most people logically are going to look at this now and be like, buy and go on and win this title. I'm not looking at it like that. I still think Dortmund are going to win the league. That's my hot take this week. Spice. Explain. I think that... Explain. I think Dortmund never enjoy being the front runners. I don't think they want to be in that top position. I'm not saying they lost that game on purpose because they definitely didn't. But I think <laughs> they're going to thrive at being underdogs in this title race. Um, it just hasn't suited them so far this season. They were nine points clear at one stage a few months back. Um, they've obviously blown it in Bayern as well. Are they bottling I, it? I think they, they're kind of doing a spur. They're being a bit spursy, yeah. But they've got a different side to them. Different league as well, you know. There's only two teams really in this league. Um, <laughs> <laughs> God, a minute. There's not the same. <laughs> no, I, I, I refuse to accept that. As a, given the amount of praise we have, there's only two teams on in this title race. Thank you. Hmm. Um, is what I meant. Fine. Um, <laughs> and I think they've learned lessons from it. Zagadou, they've learned, is too young, too naive to be involved in big moments like that. You can't rely on him. They're going to have to change him up possibly in these final six games. Oh, is that a bit harsh? I mean, like, Zagadou's had a good season, just like almost every other Dortmund player. Like, I know I know he's messed Made up. Made a horrendous mistake. He did, yeah, but you can't... You can't it's, it's a bit of revisionism, isn't it, to say, oh, Ditch yeah, Zagadou, take um, him out. Alcacer wasn't fit. It meant Royce had to play a position through the centre. He's not happy with no, it. He was really wasn't, was he? No, he, he made that quite clear. He's not... Well, he's never happy to play as a central striker. That's not where he wants to be. I don't think Lucien Favre is going to be doing that anymore. I think that he'll learn. He's tended to play um, Götze up front when when uh, Alcacer was there. Götze didn't play. Götze came off the bench. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I didn't, didn't start. Yeah. That is a, that is a rogue one. To be fair, like uh, some 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 of the decisions, Larson on the left wing and Dahoud in, in central midfield, like 
not the most obvious choices. Maybe he just uh, maybe he just sort of gambled or got too a bit carried away. Too much was on the line. He, he even said himself afterwards, we were thinking too much in terms of this being about the title. And they did kind of treat it like a cup final, which completely backfired on them. The good news for them is they've still got enough time to fix this yeah. because Bayern have the trickier running. Their last two matches particularly, they have Leipzig and they have Frankfurt. Mm. They are games where they can slip up and obviously Dortmund might slip up as well, but their last two games are against Dusseldorf and Gladbach. And I think that, while Gladbach is a tough game, don't get me wrong, yeah. I think that if it comes to those last two matches and they're still in with a chance of winning the league, I can see something happening whereby Bayern drop points and Dortmund nick this title right at the last hurdle. I also, part of me just thinks Bayern, well, they say this in Germany anyway, they, they do get cocky. They do get overconfident. They are a bit sure of themselves. And I think on the back of a 5-0 win, they'll be like, I've I think done if, this. if there's one point in it, I think you're right. But I just don't know if there is. You know, Dortmund have got to go to Werder Bremen, uh, who have been unbelievable in 2019. And I can see them slipping up there. I just like Dean's criticised, you know, Dortmund or some of the Dortmund players for being a bit inexperienced in this Bayern Munich game and, and, and collapsing. So then he goes and sort of backs them to pull it out when they really need to. Six There's point, no pressure six, on them. Six points from the last week. But if, if they get to that stage, as you say, where Bayern have those two really difficult games at the end and Dortmund have two more winnable games, as you say, you're basically asking for Dortmund to pull out two key wins while Bayern drop points. And like... I don't know, it doesn't quite different t- pressure. That's yeah. a different pressure. But is it a pressure that you think that they can they can cope with? Because yeah, it doesn't doesn't feel like they season. can cope with it to me. I do think the Bayern might just steamroll home for the rest of the season. I, if you if I was a betting man, that would be my first port of call that Bayern will just stomp home. You know, the the only team that I think really will cause them problems are Frankfurt because that team is so wonderfully balanced at, at the moment and they're playing so well mm. that. You know, it, it does look like they might be able to cause big problems, but I think the title race will be over by then. That look would at be last season, cup, German Cup final, Frankfurt three, Bayern Munich one. Who was in <laughs> Admittedly, the manager from that day for Frankfurt is now in charge of Bayern Munich, so yeah. that's one thing that's changed. But we've, we've raved about Frankfurt a lot on this yeah. podcast. And right and, so. Yeah, and I can see, I can see them beating them. Maybe, but if those are the only points they drop, that's not going to be enough. Oh, yeah, it's not going to be enough. Dortmund. I it's think not Dortmund be enough. won't win every game from here to the end of the season. And I think that if they're going to win this, I, it, there's the prediction I think for me. If Dortmund win every game from here to the end of the season, they'll win the title. But I don't think they will. Nah, I'm, I'm with I'm with Jack on that one. Yeah, it, we'll it, come back to it. I mean, <laughs> we'll revisit <laughs> this. In, you know, we'll revisit this in a couple I of games. I think we'll time. know the answer to this in about five weeks. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it does. It does seem that way, right, Sam? What's your hot take? Okay, so um, it seems to me that Ruben Loftus-Cheek, not Callum Hudson-Odoi, is the player that Maurizio Sarri has been wrong not to play all season for Chelsea. Okay. So we've had a lot of talk about Hudson-Odoi playing. He made his England debut before he made his first Premier League start for Chelsea, which seems so silly, so stupid, but this is the way it is. Uh, they've been very careful with Hudson-Odoi. But we've seen over the last couple of games and also sporadically throughout the season how Loftus-Cheek can change this Chelsea team. Where they really struggle and where they're really lacking is in midfield. And they don't have that dynamic, direct presence that Loftus-Cheek has provided over the last couple of games. Two assists and a goal. Yeah, let's not give him too much credit for the assist for Hazard's goal yeah. on, uh, on, on Monday night because that was all Hazard. But you can see that when he is in the team, he, he brings something that they lack. Something, coincidentally, that Barkley and Kovacic have offered in different coloured shirts for different clubs but for whatever reason, just don't do it for Chelsea. Yeah. 
And I feel like if that's your biggest issue, midfield, which I, I do think Chelsea have been hamstrung by their own midfield, lack of movement, lack of options, lack of drive, that's the biggest problem then Loftus-Cheek is currently showing us that he probably could have fixed this four months ago. Whereas with Hudson-Odoi, I'm not doubting his talent whatsoever. But if the midfield's broken, then I reckon if you'd have dropped Hudson-Odoi in there consistently six games in a row, he'd have been as flat as Willian or Pedro. Because if you look at it objectively, take out the tired tired view of Pedro and Willian, and I understand why Chelsea fans... Oh, excuse me. I understand why uh, why Chelsea fans... uh, are sick and tired of William and Pedro. But objectively speaking, they are still better players than Callum Hunt and Adoy. And there is no guarantee that you drop a young teenager in there and he just flies forward. William hasn't shown that this season. There's every every chance that Callum Hunt and Adoy steps into that team. And if the midfield is broken and the system doesn't work, then he suffers in the same way that Pedro and William do. I think there's something you're missing here. And the, the thing I think you're missing is that those players have come on as substitutes. So William for Pedro or Pedro for William was, was a substitute that happened so regularly under the early times under Sarri. Like Kovacic and Barkley. Like Kovacic and Barkley. And, and I do, you know, I completely agree with your point. I think that Loftus-Cheek's kind of importance to the team is that he releases Jorginho from the shackle of having to play sideways and backwards, mm. which was what everyone was criticising for. And he wasn't given options, which therefore is, is sorted by this. But, but, I think that if you continue to play William and Pedro, even with Loftus-Cheek and you continue to rotate them the way that he was doing, you don't find answers by spreading the play. And I think that maybe there's a point that, yes, he was, he was right to keep Cousin Adoy to, to, to start at this point. I don't think he was probably ready for a Premier League start, but I do think his like, impact as an impact sub has been underutilised by Sarri this season. So, so has it been brought on for the last 20 years? Precisely, yeah. I, I, I can see that, but I'm just saying, like, Loftus-Cheek, is, I think, is more integral to fixing the immediate now of this side and getting it rolling. I don't agree with that, because Chelsea have been crying out in the final third for a lease of life. Like, Pedro's good player, William's a good player, don't get me wrong, but they've lacked this dynamism. And yesterday, when you saw the... the sorry, Monday, when you saw the, the team sheet... And there's ha- there's Hazard one side, there's Higuain through the middle, and there's Hudson Odoi on the other wing. It just you look at that and you're like, wow! Like straight away, that brings a completely different feeling to every single person who's about to watch that football match. Whether you watch Chelsea or not, whether you like watching Chelsea or not, that is far more exciting than having Willian or Pedro. And I think opponents would have looked at that and been like, uh, I don't want to be up against that this season. I don't and think I think anybody Hudson-Doy's... wants to be up against Willian or Pedro or Callum Hudson-Odoi. They can deal with it, though, because they know what they're getting out of those players. Hudson-Odoi has got this air of um, this almost naivety in that he doesn't know himself at times what he's going to do. So he's going to get at people every opportunity he can. He's trying to prove himself, and he'll make goals, he'll score goals. There was one opportunity where he's fired it in on goal. He hits it so hard, and it, I didn't see that coming at that point. I've tried to be critical of Hudson Odoi and not jump on the bandwagon this season. I've tried to like lean back and be like, "Hang on, hang on, he, he's good, but is he that good?" And I was watching that game um, on Monday night, and I thought, actually, Hudson Odoi is the real deal, and he should be getting more see, time. My, my issue is that it further, you have to fix it further back in midfield for any of this to even come into play for Hudson Odoi. Because if you'd have put Hudson Odoi into the team with a midfield of Jorginho, Kante, and Barkley. All of these opportunities you speak of, this this dynamic, this 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 spark, it doesn't come to fruition because the system is broken further back. Loftus Cheek is more important to this Chelsea team. 
than Hudson Odoi is, and, and he is the one that should have been playing the whole season. Okay, well, last point. But why you said it earlier that Kovacic and Barkley have been able to do that thing that that Hudson and uh, that Loftus Cheek offers mm. so so much for other teams? Why can't they do it at Chelsea? I have absolutely, it's been driving me absolutely mad. The, literally, Kovacic's best strength at Inter Milan and sporadically at Real Madrid was Maisie runs forward under pressure, slaloming round players. It was the one thing that really got you off your seat to watch Kovacic. And Barkley, of course, we saw that a very powerful runner at Everton. I don't know what has happened. I don't know if Sarri has just Barclay's given them... I think been all right this season. I don't think he's been that bad. I think he's been a massive problem. Yeah, I think I'm, he's I'm Tactically speaking, I think he's been a massive issue. What he does, does confuse me is that uh, Sarri still wants to sign Kovacic permanently. What's yeah. the point? It's he's an not... option, isn't it? Right, let, let's move this on mm. to, to the third day. The winner of this week's poll was where PSG would finish in the Premier League, which was adapted from a question from Instagram. Shouts out to the Rank Squad member Arthur Cornell for that one. It, it's an interesting one, this, and it caused a lot of debate in the replies on Twitter. People saying they wouldn't make the top five. People saying they'd win the whole thing. You know, <laughs> where you can get involved. You know, <laughs> make, make sure you get involved on Twitter where you can you get involved in picking the hot take and then also questioning it and starting a debate. I thought this was interesting and I think that there's there's two questions here one where would they finish in the Premier League and two would that help them in European competition to be playing teams mm. which that you know a more competitive top, top six should we say you know most weeks yeah I think they'd probably be third in the Premier League. That would be my take right now. I think they'd probably finish third in this season's Premier League. But you've got to take into account if PSG were in the Premier League, they'd have even more money. <laughs> no, I think you have to ignore that. But with this, let's let's take it for this squad. This squad, I think, would finish third in the Premier League. Open floor. I th- Look... I don't like agreeing with you straight off the bat, Jack, but if I, I, I can't say exactly where they will finish inside that top three because I don't know who's going to win the Premier League title out of Man City in Liverpool, even now in the home stretch. If I can't call that right now with any genuine confidence, how the hell am I supposed to put a PSG side in and just, and just go, oh, off you go? Yeah, they would definitely do that. But they are clearly in that bracket of three and they would be right in amongst it, in my opinion, with City and with Liverpool. It would be a proper three-horse race at this point. They are at that level. They are better than Arsenal, better than Chelsea and better than United, no matter what the uh, aggregate score might say on that one, I, I just, yeah, it, it, I think it's very clear. I also think that if they were in the Premier League, they'd have sorted their defence out earlier, because it's harder to play in the Premier League. You can't just overpower teams like that. Southampton manager Ralph Hasenhutl said last week, who's who's managing the Bundesliga with RB Leipzig and Ingolstadt, he said playing in the Premier League is like having to play Bayern Munich twelve times a season because you have six teams of that on that level. So if you're Southampton, you have to play Bayern 12 times. Yeah. And he said it's great because it, it sharpens you up. It, it, means, it means you have to beat your best all the time. You're consistently hitting that level. That, I mean, that, that's it, isn't it? That's, that's, I mean, it, they, they, would, they, would ha- they would have to, have to sort their defence out early. They would have had to buy some more fullbacks who are capable of mixing it at the top no, level. And they would, have been, they would be an all-round better side and they, they would be better in the Champions they would League. Be in this, they would be in the fight for fourth place. That's where PSG would be. You'd, no! You'd, you look at them this season. They've played against two Premier League teams. They've played against Liverpool. They've played against Man United. Mm. And we've seen across those four matches they played how inconsistent they are and how similar they actually are to a team like Man United. They lost one, drew one, against, uh, lost one, beat Liverpool, yeah. and they did the same with Man United. They beat them at Old Trafford, and then they lost 
um, at home to Man United and a game they definitely shouldn't be losing. So for me, I look at PSG and see if they have actually all the same flaws pretty much as a team like Man United does right now. They have some unbelievable assets, but they still have um, huge weaknesses to their side and also to their mindset that I think would really affect them in a gruelling Premier League season. Would you kick? Would you think that it would have kicked them on in Champions League competition or in European competition? Yeah, in the Premier League. Yeah, if they were in the Premier League. I mean, yes, I do. Because I think they would have sorted out the issues that have plagued their squad for like the last three years they would have already sorted them out sooner so they would be a more rounded group they literally wouldn't have had, had a choice but to buy some fullbacks and buy a new centre-back and maybe maybe fix some of those issues that have been a problem for them I, I, don't, I don't know they are I, the, Man, the, worth, the, Man, the Man United game right as, as we've said on the podcast before 99 times out of 100 PSG win that game so I'm not using that as a basis to say anything with regards to PSG were, and they United. were missing key players they were yeah and as I mean United I, weren't you, you might, yeah, fair, we, haven't, like, we haven't necessarily mentioned the fact that like this would mean Neymar and Mbappe play every week in the Premier League they would rip the Premier League Neymar wouldn't one. Yeah, would the, not the, that up. was something that was a cause for controversy in the in the Twitter comments. People people were saying that Neymar wouldn't be able to cut in the Premier League. Neymar a, wouldn't. That is ridiculous. He wouldn't fit into the Premier League. He's, third, I mean, he's the third best player in the world. He would hate it. He would hate the fact that you don't get the decisions you're expecting. He would be moaning all the time. He people like the Premier League is tougher yeah, than Wolf other Zaha does all right. And he plays for Palace. Wolf Zaha does all right, and he plays for Palace. Not really though. He's constantly complaining about he, how much he, he is, gets but kicked. he still wins. He still wins and loads I think, of penalties. But I think loads someone like Zaha kicks. has more character than Neymar does. Maybe this is the character builder Neymar needs. So you, can't, you can't just be like, nah, he wouldn't do it because he doesn't, he doesn't like being fouled. No one likes being fouled. <laughs> I mean, I'm mean, sure there are some players who take great pleasure in being fouled. But it, it is, no, I, I see what you're saying. I, I think it's an interesting one and, and obviously one we'll, we'll never know the answer <laughs> to, unfortunately. Well, we will when the European Super League well, kicks in. Don't even stop me on that one. We're, we're not talking about it. And, and with that, we're going onwards to the main rankings and we're going to be looking at the best players in Italy's Serie A with a little help from an absolute legend of the Italian game, Christian Vieri. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to BR Football Ranks, gang. And in the main ranking this week, we're going to be taking a quick look through some of the best players in Serie A by position. To start us off, we enlisted some help from a man who scored goals for fun over the course of his career, banging them in with gusto for Inter Milan, Atletico Madrid, Juventus, Lazio and Fiorentina, to name a few, as well as smashing 23 goals in 49 appearances for the Azzurri national team. It is, of course, the one and only Christian Vieri. We spoke to him live from the ICC launch in New York. We wanted to talk to you a little bit about the strikers in Serie A, the strikers in the Italian top flight. We're going to exclude Cristiano Ronaldo from the conversation because we've all done that conversation a hundred times uh, and we were going to get you to kind of walk us through who you think the three best strikers in the, in the division are from three to one so we're going to throw it to you and okay. uh, we'll have a little bit of discussion around each of the people you pick okay so I'm going to go with number three I'm going to choose Milik from Napoli I think that okay. after uh, the, the two operations on his knee uh, he recuperated really good He's been playing for the last year without any problems. He's uh, an amazing goal scorer, plays with the team, and so I'm going to pick him as number three. Christian, do you think it's fair to say Milik thrives under Carlo Ancelotti a lot better than he did under Maurizio Sarri, Napoli's previous manager? But you know why? Because he had a lot of injuries too, so he wasn't playing with, you know, regularly. So this year he had no problems. Uh, you know, Ancelotti is making him play a lot of games. He's been scoring a lot of games. He's won a lot of games for them, scoring important goals. So I want to choose him for number three. 
someone something that always stands out for me with Milik and something that I never expect from him is every time I see him take a free kick, I'm like, oh yeah, he's really good at free kicks, and it always free. slips my mind. But he is unbelievable from a dead ball. No, the thing is that for a big guy, normally big guys don't take free kicks, right? He's a, he's a big yeah. guy and he just you know slams it over the over the wall, you know. And uh, he scored three four goals already this year, and it's it's amazing, you know, the the, the left foot he has. He has a, he has a soft foot, and that's that's a good thing about him, you know. So free kicks are amazing. Christian, what does it take to thrive in Serie A as a striker? <sighs> well, listen, at the end of the day, you got to score goals, you know. Uh, I think it's the hardest competition in Europe because it's it's a tactical game. It's it's a tactical league, you know. The coaches don't want to concede before they score. So, you know, I always used to say that when you score one goal in Italy, it's like scoring two in the rest of the competitions, you know, because we, you know, they work a lot tactically, you know. The, the first thing is not, not to concede goals. So it's very, very hard for strikers, you know, to, 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 to score in Italy. I was talking last night with Forlan and, we were, you know, we were saying the same thing, that it's very hard in Italy because tactically the teams are well-trained and, you know, they, they leave you no space up front. So it's very, very hard, you know, for a striker you know, uh, to come to Italy and score a lot of goals. You know, only very, very big, big strikers score score a lot of goals in Italy. You know, it's not easy. It's not an easy league to play. You know, it's not. I, I think adapted, or it's the right league for, for strikers. You know, uh, but the strikers. You know, this year they've been scoring goals. You know, there's there's a lot of quality. You know, the last three four years, Italy's Italy's become good again. It's become uh, you know a lot a lot of big players are coming back to Italy. That's that's what we want. Then who's at number two? Then we're talking of big players. Okay, number two, I'm going to choose Icardi. I think he's uh, an amazing goal scorer. Plays a little bit less with the team. He's a finisher. He's a really 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 big finisher. You know, he scores 25 goals every year, and he's you know he's still 26 years old. To play in San Siro, it's not easy. Uh, he started playing when he was uh, 22. You know, so a lot of pressure. You know, it's very it's not easy to play in a big stadium like that. You got 70, 80 thousand people every game, and you know he's been scoring 25 goals for the for the last four years. You know, so he's already scored more than 100 goals for for Inter Milan. You know, and uh, he's a very very big finisher. You reference the quantity of goals that he scores, but he steps up in the big moments continually as well. I'd say Icardi is one of the guys that you can rely on in world football, one of the most reliable strikers in world football at the big moment. No, I, I agree with you 100%. He scores in big games. You know, he's a big goal scorer. And, you know, when the big games come up, you know, he's always there. You know, they always, you always find him. He always scores. And, uh, you know, he's been doing that for, for the last three, four years, you know. And it's, uh, Inter Milan has, has a very, very big striker there, you know. And, you know, they've got to keep him tight. And there's not a lot of strikers that, you know, score 24, 25, 26 goals every year like, like he does, you know. And he's, like I said before, he's still very young. So, you know, like you said, he's a, he's a big scorer in big games. It's, it's about mentality as well, isn't it, when it comes to these big strikers? You talked about how hard it is for them to score goals consistently because of the tactics. But for someone like Icardi, playing under such pressure all the time, you've got to be so mentally strong. Yes, that's, a, that's the first thing you need to, to be uh, when you're playing San Siro, mentally, mentally strong. The rest comes later. Uh, San Siro is a very hard stadium to play in, you know. When you make mistake, mistakes, the, the fans, you know, you hear them, because eh? they start whistling, so uh, it's not easy to play there. The <laughs> uh, stadium's always full. So, you know, Icardi has been amazing for the last four or five years for Inter Milan. 
when when you sort of have a person like Icardi who's the guy for a team and he is the kind of the person that Inter have looked to for the last couple of seasons when the things weren't going right when the chips were down he was the man that was tasked with turning things around I kind of want to know what what it's like what that pressure is like at a huge club like Inter and how you deal with the kind of mental pressures of being the person that everyone relies on especially at such a young age well the first thing you got to do is, is train prepare you know uh, I would say that when you play Sundays, you show what you do during the week, you know. So uh, you got to prepare from, you know, from Tuesday to Saturday. You got to, you got to prepare 100. percent You got to look at all the details. You have to, you have to prepare mentally, physically. You got to prepare. Ross in San Siro, it's very hard to play. You can't play, and and you don't show up. So if you don't train good during the week, you know, you know, you know, you know, you know, you're not going to be able to score in San Siro. So I know that he's a he's a good trainer. He prepares, and mentally he's he's very tough. You don't think he's. The less papers you read, social, you, you read, the better it is. Because you know how it is. When you score, you're the best in the world. After three days, you miss two goals, easy goals, you're the worst player. So first thing is, is to prepare. Second thing is not to read the newspapers. <laughs> you have to read the, the, my, my psychiatrist, she tells me, Bob, you've got to read the newspapers when you score. When you don't score, don't read anything. Stay close yourself in the house and don't come out for a week. You've referenced the San Siro a lot there, and spoken about uh, the pressure that it takes, to, the pressure that's involved in playing there, and, and how and how full it is, and how difficult it is. They're talking about knocking it down. Is that sad to you? Is it a temple of Italian football? Well, it is a temple. It's it's sad because you know uh, it's been there for so long, and the best players in the world have played there. But on the other hand, you've got to move on. You know, the whole world's got new stadiums. We're the only country that have, we have. Stadiums that are 70, 80 years old, 100 years old. You know, we're still playing in, in that era, and uh, we have to move on. So, if Milan Inter can get a new stadium, you know, and uh, and make one, and you know, have uh, have new things, new new, you need a new stadium. You can't always play in a stadium that is very old. You know, even if it's so nice when it's full, but it's an old stadium. You got you got to move on. You got to move on. You know, you got new stadiums, new structures, and like. Next week, uh, Inter's Linton Legends playing in in the Tottenham Hospital's new stadium. It's nine floors. It's fantastic. You know, we need these new stadiums. Well, talking of moving on, I think it's time for us to get onto number one in this list. Okay, number one. I don't think you guys are gonna know who I'm gonna choose. I'm gonna choose Jeko from Rome. Uh, hmm. We thought you any, might. any of you guys think that I was gonna say that name? Was anyone thinking about yeah, that name? We, 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 we thought he'd be in your three. Yeah, I thought maybe Piontek, but yeah. Okay, so, no, Piontek, he's, he's a good player. You know, he just arrived in Milan and he's doing amazing. But, you know, Dzeko, I think he's the most complete number nine in Italy. He's uh, left-footed, right-footed. You know, he plays for the team. He has fantastic technique. He's amazing with the header, you know. So I think he's the most uh, complete player in, uh, in Italy. He's a fantastic goal scorer. Gives a lot of assists, you know, uh, makes his teammates score, gives the ball always in the right moment. So I'm choosing him. Christian, is there an argument that Jekko and Icardi, your number one and number two, are very different in the way that they interact with their teammates and play their game of football? Yeah, no, like, I agree with you. One just is a killer in the, in the, in the box, you know, that's Icardi. Doesn't play much with his teammates. The other one... I like him because you know you've got to you've got to you just can't the way I th- I look at football you got to play with your teammates you got to you know there's moments where you got to hold the ball let the, the the team breathe let the you know the midfielders come up and you know you got to give assists you got to do one twos you got to you know you got to play play with your teammates and he's he's phenomenal at doing that you know and uh, he does that and he scores and he scores a lot of goals misses a lot of chances but he's always there you know 
and uh, he's so tall and so strong and has amazing te technique. You know, it's not easy for a big guy like that to have good technique to be soft when he's got the ball in his feet. So they're two completely different players, but I, I like Dzeko. I think he's the, the most complete striker in Serie A and, you know, he's showing it, you know, week after week and uh, it's not easy, you know, because Rome's a hard place to play too. It's not easy to play in Rome. Uh, so, you know, a lot of TVs there, a lot of radios, they make you go nuts. Uh, when, you may, when, you, when, you, when you miss a couple of goals, they, 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 they say so much crap on you that it's crazy, you know. So, a lot of pressure in Rome too. And, uh, but the way he plays, the way he, he plays with his teammates, you know, the midfielders that, you know, when he has the ball, they go in the box and he gives them the ball. It's amazing. So, I'm choosing him number one and I think I'm right. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> well, you would. In terms of, you know, there's a lot of young players coming through that Roma system now. You know, you, we've seen Zaniolo really, you know, explode through this season. Uh, but even players like Cengizunda and, and Justin Cliver, they've all come through. And is someone like Dzeko such a good role model for them it, because of what you're saying and because he's so focused on helping out his teammates? Is he a wonderful player to, for them to be kind of learning and feeding off? Yes, if they're smart, they learn from him, you know. The thing is that, these these years, you know, it's it's different. Like the way we were when I used to play, I used to was you know, I used to always look at my my older strikers, you know, and try to learn from them. This the, the last couple of years, they do that less. You know, this generation, these guys do it less. But I know that in Rome, because you know, I speak with Totti a lot, that you know, Zaniolo, all those young guys, you know, Cliver, they all want to learn. You know, they're hungry. And that's I think that's the the most important thing. You know, to learn from the from the big guys that have been there for a lot of years and have a lot of experience. Christian, there's one name I'm going to throw at you here. He's really emerged this season. He's 27, but he has emerged and broken out this season. Uh, Duvan Zapata is scoring a lot of goals. What do you think of him from Atalanta? Fantastic. Uh, he has a good coach because I think Gasperini in Atalanta is doing amazing. He trains them physically very, very, very hard during the week. And, you know, you can see that during the, during the games on the Sundays. And Zapata is, is a beast. He's, like, really strong physically. He's left, right-footed, plays for the team, and, very, you know, very, very strong. So he's got a lot of goals this year. I think he's going to move next year. He's going to go to a big team, I think. And I just want to throw one more name because I find his story so interesting. Tell me what you've made of Quagliarella and the way that he's just come about and continued to score so many goals. Well, listen, he's, uh, he's been there for a long time. You know, I texted him last week. Uh, so happy so, for all the goals he scored with, uh, with Sampdoria. It's crazy. He scored 13, I think 12, 13, 14 games in a row, you know. It's very, very hard. You know, he's 37 years old, 36 or 37, you know. He played uh, two days ago for the national team, scored two goals. And, you know, he's, uh, he's like a 20-year-old, you know, so Mancini saw that, you know, he, he, it's not easy to bring a 36, 37-year-old to the national team, you know, but, you know, he, he's going, he's going in, the right, in the right way, Poyarella, he doesn't expect anything, so I think that uh, Mancini caught him, he deserved it, he scored two goals, so I think he's going to be with the national team for the next year, year or two. He's such a, a great story in terms of how you know, persistence and hard work continues to get you the results at the top level. And it really does warm the heart when you hear you know, that he's still going and still scoring and, and still being a wonderful footballer. No, I agree with you. I think that, see, like you just said, he's been working for so long, you know, for, 20, for 17, 20 years, you know, and he prepares. He tells me that he prepares. He says, Bob, I've got to prepare every, every training. You know, I've got to go the three hours before do all my stuff, you know, prepare for, prepare for training. I'm not 20 years anymore where I can just go half an hour before training and just train. So he's got to prepare the whole week. And, uh, you know, he's putting a lot of, you know, a lot, a lot of mental toughness in, in his game, you know. It's not easy to play when you're 36, 37 up front with the 20-year-olds, you know. So he's preparing physically and mentally. 
you know, and he's showing his quality because he's got a lot of quality. You know, he has good feet, and he's been scoring a lot of goals with Sampdoria. And you know, so I'm happy that he's playing. That you know, hopefully he can go to the Euro Cup, the Euros with with Italy. You know, and uh, they need some experience up front, and he's got a lot of that. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Christian. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on BR Football Ranks. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, guys. See you guys soon. Not in London. Well, thank you so much to Christian for his time and for that list. Some big names there. Let's take a look through some of the other positions then, boys. Starting with attacking midfielders, wingers. I'm going to start here, and I'm going to start with number three, who I've got Suso from AC Milan. Now, I know he's not having his best season this year. That's a rogue but the man has basically put AC Milan on his back through a couple of really difficult seasons before this. 24 goals, 29 assists in 122 Serie A appearances. That's basically a, an involvement in a goal just under one of every two games. That's impressive figures, especially in a team that's been struggling to get back to the elite tier. But I really like him. And I think in a team with more I attacking... Really like I do like but him. I do like him. I do so like he's him in. a lot. And I think in a team with more attacking prowess, I think he continues to improve on those ratios. Mm-hmm. He, he's basically done it all by himself for Milan for quite a long time. Until this season, yeah. he basically did it alone. And I think that on its own is worthy of merit in this inclusion. Yeah, they've got him list. some help now, haven't they? They've, they've, they've got him some help and he's basically calmed down and been like... That was hard. I'm taking a little bit of a break before I come back with Gusto. Uh, Another player who's maybe not having his best season this year, but over the last few seasons has been one of the top talents in Europe. Lorenzo Insigne, I've got a number two. Napoli's talisman, the pride of Naples at the moment, and one of the most explosive players in world football, never mind in Serie A. I just love watching Insigne. He's so explosive, he's tricky, he can shoot from distance, he takes players on, and he's been so crucial to Napoli's reascent to the top tier of the Italian game. 76 goals and 70 assists in six and a half seasons at Napoli. He's it, tiny, just like you, Jack. And he's tiny. <laughs> he, he's magic. He's their magic man. <laughs> Uh, and conf- fulfilling a theme here a little bit, uh, number one is Juventus's Paolo Dybala. Difficult because I know he's played some time for Juventus as a number nine, but ultimately he's been played more from deep, so I've put him in the attacking midfielders list. I think that's and, fair. Yeah, uh, and he's just a constant joy to watch. Joya by name, Joya uh, by nature. You know, it's one of those things. When you're, when you're named so early on as Lionel Messi's heir, it, it's difficult to kind of live up to those expectations. And I think, especially in the national team, he's not really been given that opportunity to kind of dovetail with the man he was long-term set to replace. But... He's just so fun and he dribbles through teams and he scores wonder goals and he wears black boots and he's left footed. There's something every, so nice about that. He's just oh. everything that you want in football. I just Beautiful, really, man. really enjoy. I still, I consider him a forward, but I understand what, why you yeah, put him in there. It nah, was a difficult I, one for me. I'm, Jack, I think Jack's called it right here. The, the, the lines are very, very blurred. It's blurry, isn't and it? I, and, I, and I'm about to bring up a name here and I'm going to presume he's just fallen on the other side of it, yeah. which is Papu Gomez of Atalanta. I love Papu Gomez, but I had him as a striker. Okay. I, I think that he has to fall kind of into that category. He's Convenient. kind of... Yeah, I mean, yeah, convenient. Yeah, I know. That's yeah. handy, wouldn't it? I would have liked to have him in it. I would have had him probably. If he was a midfielder, if he was a midfielder, I probably would have had him in at number three. So just take it out with Christian Vieri. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, you can have that fight with Christian, you know, get him, get at him on social media and stuff and, and tell him that he forgot Papu and that's very sad. But, but ultimately, he also didn't mention Dries Mertens and neither did we, not even once. Well, that's the problem. He's another one that falls sort of on this blurry line between yeah. midfielder and forward. And there's quite a lot of these players in Serie A who are sort of, 
half strikers, half midfielders. Gave yourself, gave yourself a tough little task, didn't you? Well, yeah. You yeah, accidentally, chose that subject. <laughs> accidentally picked the hardest one. So, yeah, that's, um, they're my ones. All but right. I'm going to throw it to you, Sam. You've got some centre midfielders, I believe. So, yeah, I'm going to go uh, slightly more work, workhorse, slightly more defensive orientated. At three, I tried to find a, a kind of like a more a fresher name or a, a more exciting name here. I looked at Bakayoko, Fabian Ruiz, but really... They're not as good as Blaise Matuidi. So Matuidi kicks us off at number three. Like, a very, very safe pair of hands. And I do feel like... Very safe pair of feet as well. And I do feel like... I do feel like he's the kind of player that PSG are probably sat there going, I wish we had a player like Matuidi right now. Wouldn't that be really useful? His level this season has been really consistent. I don't think he's been incredibly standout. Not to someone, at least, who doesn't watch Serie A all of the time either. But you always know exactly what you're going to get from Matuidi. Yeah, he's consistent. And, and he's like, he's not even a year removed from a very good World Cup, a World Cup win. Like he, he's playing at the top of his game right now. And I've got him in at three. Number two, Alan from Napoli. Of course. What a player. Love that guy. If, I'm a huge fan of Alan, and you should be as well. If you, if you haven't seen him, then do tune in and have a look. I think he's a massive secret. He's been linked to some big money moves and yeah. things like that. And there's a really good comparison in N'Golo Kante for him. Like You try and steer away from that sort of thing, but the running, the stamina, the endless stamina, the box-to-box nature, even the stature and the height, he, he's, he's basically the Serie A version of N'Golo Kante. And if you love Kante, then you will love Alan. Yeah. He is very, very good. Dean, is there any legs in any of those moves for Alan? Is there any sort of knowledge you have that you can impart upon us? He's definitely... I think people naturally now go to Napoli as a place where they can pick off certain positions of players knowing that they'll be able to slot in. Jorginho might not have helped people actually decide whether that's a good idea or not recently but Alan um, is literally on the list of about four Premier League clubs at the moment I think um, Man City even were one I was speaking to someone recently and they, they talked about we've talked again about that role that Man City are going to look to fill long term and he was one of the, the names put to it I don't think it's going to happen I think he's going to stay at Napoli I bet he'll cost so much money as well like I, I would be stocked if this guy if he moves if he, if he moved for, for less than 70 million euros yeah. I'd be surprised so that's the level we're talking yeah. let's bring it on to number one it's Miralem Pjanic Course. The master conductor is a magnificent player. When you play a player like him at the base of midfield, you're asking him to create and to control and to manage, but you're also asking him to do all of the defensive work as well. You've got to appreciate players like that that can just do all of it. You know, He is the signal controller for Juventus. He is the reason they dominate games. He takes an unbelievable free kick. He's a set-piece master. He's got the odd he's wonderful so goal. He's so free kicks. He's, yeah, I, I, think, I think he's one of the best midfielders in the world. One of the best number eights or number sixes yeah. in the world. He's in the top five category. I don't necessarily think he gets the credit he deserves. In that no. It doesn't get included in that conversation enough. People talk about the midfield greats and they always talk about Kante and Busquets and, and people like that and with, with merit yeah, don't get me wrong but Pjanic is sneaking up under there in that kind of area I, he's so so good and for me he's the clear best central midfielder in Serie A well my favourite midfielder is De Rossi but yes injuries and age are starting to catch up on him and lack of ability and nowadays as well maybe but Ooh, I th- I'm kind harsh. of I'm bringing that into the injury I think he's being affected by, by other things but I just love him. I think he's amazing, and I think that a the impact old that, school gladiator, isn't yeah, he? the like, impact he's had as well over the course of his career from from that position is unlike really anything else I've seen. To be honest, he was awesome, but I actually genuinely think he's quite irresponsible nowadays. Like he's, he's just get, a bit mental he, now. He gets sent off and 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 makes rash decisions and and makes silly tackles at really 
bad moments. But do you think that's because his feet aren't, his head and his feet aren't perhaps aren't on the, the same, same page? page and yeah. it's all, it's that or he's just been bored for 60 minutes because nothing, <laughs> nothing fun's happened on the pitch. <laughs> oh, so he's going yeah. to take He can't pass to his old pal Rossi anymore. Me, I'm but. full of respect for Daniele De Rossi and I think he was amazing eight years ago. Ooh, well, I think he years. was. I think he was amazing. I think it's more recently ago. than that. But <laughs> the people, the Six. person I'm sad you you mentioned him at the start. I'm sad you haven't included Fabian Ruiz because I love Fabian Ruiz. Too early, but I, I think he has more time to go. The one I was interested in you not picking and you haven't mentioned is Sergei Milinkovic Savic. Mm. Bad season, great player. Um, overrated from the start. Good, good player. Ooh, good player. Big. Never, never worth the 80, 100, 110 million euro price tag that was put on his shoulders. Um, made a little, made kind of a name for himself in the first game of the World Cup, and then didn't really turn up in the next two. And that was really his shot. I'm not judging him based on that. I did a deep dive on BleachReport.com early last year because he was getting so much hype, and I just had a look at him and just basically put six games on and just watched him and was like. He's, he's, I think a lot of he's clubs. Okay. Did, he's okay. I think a lot of clubs did the same thing with him. You know, I think that he had so much potential. Still does, obviously. Um, so young, but there was so much hype. There's so much hype a year ago around him, yeah. and I feel like it wasn't beneficial to him at all. And I think that it's for the best that he's not on your uh, ranking because he, he doesn't need any more hype right now. He he is very interesting, extremely tall, very good technically for his height in tight spaces. He's a bit like Pogba, how he has that elastic ability to control a football in tight spaces despite those very long limbs. It's very hard to do that. Speaking of someone who is six foot four and struggles with that sort of thing yeah, on me either too. side, me too um, difficult. very hard. So it's very interesting that he's got a good long shot. He's good at headers, but defensively he was so lethargic last season like whether he'd been instructed like that or just couldn't be bothered if you if, if you if you spent 100 million euros on Sergei Milinkovic-Savic remember the, the the accusations that Pogba was attracting early on yeah. with regard to his defensive Work ethic right. it would have been exactly the same it would have been really detrimental I'm really pleased that everyone decided to just call their jets on him yeah. again it could, it, it could be on this list in three years time yeah, but well, not right we'll now see, we'll see where we go right let's move it on to defenders famously yeah. The Serie A is, is good for defenders. Yeah, there was this short list here of about 37 names. So this was really, <laughs> this was really easy. Um, so there's a Juventus player at number three, and it's the only Juventus player on my list. And it's not going to be the ones that you think, because I haven't gone for Chiellini or Bonucci. I've gone for Giao Cancelo. Uh, a fullback who joined from Valencia in 2018 after a spell at... Are you reading his Wikipedia page? <laughs> and I think, but well, the reason I say that is because... He was obviously at Inter Milan in between, and I reckon Inter Milan are kicking themselves for not taking up the opportunity to sign him permanently. Now, um, Juventus spent a lot of money on him, 40 million euros, and at the time... We were all a bit confused. Yeah, I think everybody was a bit confused, but he's absolutely... Then he brought Ronaldo in. <laughs> and then we were like, oh, I see, I see. He's to the challenge, and he's, he fits in. Defensively, he's improving and still has room to improve. Going forward, he offers them a lot as well, though. I think he's become a really good, rounded um, fullback. What you'd expect of somebody to play that position in the modern game. He fits everything, ticks all those boxes. He's versatile. He's also becoming dependable. And I think by playing alongside Chiellini and Bonucci, he's just getting better and better. So I think um, he deserves his place in here. I think he's had a big impact at Juve this season. Mm. And um, 
the reason I put him in the head of Chiellini and Benucci is because I feel like they're on the wane now, whereas he's on his way up, and I think he's really one to look out for. Portugal are laughing, aren't they? They've got Ronaldo and Cancelo playing and linking together at club level and for national level. Like Andy. that's that is your that is Fernando Santos's dream. Portugal's fullback situation is absolute chaos at the yeah. moment. They have like fifteen great fullbacks. I know, it's I know. Real good fun, it's mad, isn't it? Real good fun. Right onwards. Number two, crossing over to Inter Milan, Slovakian guy there called Milan Skrinja, and we all need to know his name. Even if it's difficult to say at first, because <laughs> I struggle with his name so much. Skrinia. Um He stands out for me for all the obvious reasons in that he's big, he's controlling at the back, um, good positioning, but his reading of the game is just absolutely ridiculous. He can intercept a ball brilliantly, or he can also cut it at source because he knows exactly where it's going to go. Um, and he can just, you just watch his his eyes the way that he's reading a game you can literally see his brain working and two seconds later he's got the ball at his feet Mm. Um, it's crazy the way he's able to do it a lot of big clubs are being linked with him and rightly so he's 24 years old Man United one of the clubs looking at him apparently Solskjaer is a big fan of his he's going to cost a lot of money though Um, be very interesting to see when he does leave into what kind of sums of cash are thrown their way didn't you write an article on this one point Sam we haven't literally just picked these subjects that I can (laughs) pinpoint all of my old articles um yes i did i did again did something for on, on bleach report which is I'm, I'm asking <laughs> asking the question uh, who will be the first 100 million pound center back and i essentially came to the conclusion that it's going to be one of two players one of them was milan skriniar and the other is probably your number one kaladu kulibali yes oh, yeah. yeah 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 yeah, <laughs> there yeah. We are. okay so yeah. basically, Dean read my article <laughs> and then came on a podcast, read someone's Wikipedia page, and then just deferred back to my I article. I hate to say is I've never read any of your articles, but anyway, let's move on. <laughs> um, not only is Koulibaly the best defender in England, he's... He's not in sorry? England. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> not only is Koulibaly the best defender in Italy, he is potentially the best defender in the world. He is unbelievable. So in England, what I was going to say is that Van Dyke is raved about every week. People think that he is the pinnacle of defending right now. And rightly so. And rightly so, but I would love to see Koulibaly in the Premier League as well, just to see how he compares, because Mm. I feel like he could really challenge him for that title and perhaps even push him to a new level, because he's unreal. Now, again, United have been linked to this player at all as as well. United are just linked to everyone, aren't they? Well, they they desperately need a centre-back, so it makes a lot of sense. Maybe if they could get Skriniar and Koulibaly, they'd be all right. But, um, That's a 200 million pound hole. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> he played against um, Liverpool earlier in the season in the Champions League and there were a lot of scouts at that game. And he bottled Salah up in that game. He did. And they were checking out to see how he fares, obviously, against Premier League opposition, particularly... Premier League team that's in such good form yeah. and he came out of it pretty well I mean his team didn't but he did yeah. and I there's, think there's that clip where he literally pushes his fullback across to, to, to cover a run that the fullback hadn't spotted someone's making the run inside and he just shoves him, he just shocks him, him over. about three yards to his right go you track that run I'm staying he here he is an absolute beast of a man yeah. but he's so athletic his passing is insane he can set the tone from the back he's got absolutely everything you think Van Dyke costs seventy-five million? Koulibaly is going to cost a hundred million, easy. I think Koulibaly, Van Dyke, and Gerard Piquet are the three best central defenders in the world, based on ability plus 
what they've done over the course of the season. So form over the season and general ability. Okay. PK, Van Dijk, Koulibaly. They are they are in that, that category. And you can pick whoever you want out of those three yeah. as, you, as you one, two, three. But that's that's the class. All right, I, I can't let you let this all slide without mentioning the fact that you haven't actually put Benicio Chiellini in. You know, or Alexandro. Stalwarts of that, of that Juventus team. Especially, especially Chiellini. Especially Chiellini, who's been a stalwart for so long in that Juventus team, has been at the top of the defending game for so long. It, it does seem like a big call to leave him out. It is a big call to leave him out. But <laughs> as I said, I can't just pick all these Juventus defenders and Chiellini and Bonucci have had enough praise in their time. I feel it's time <laughs> that somebody else got some. Right, well, we'll be back after the break for Bleacher Roulette and Sam's Nonsense Rankings. Welcome back to BR Football Ranks. It's that time again. It's Bleacher Roulette. Sam, let's go. Let's me, have it. Me let's first. Go. You go. All right. Should touchline bans be extended for managers who communicate to their assistants from the stands? From Ivan Filipov on Twitter. So I guess the, the crux of this is that... Pochettino was on FaceTime. Yeah, you're not really supposed to do that. <laughs> it seems illegal, um, right? Uh, it's kind of against the rules. Um, yeah, why not? And why? And like, it's not, not as if the Premier League can't afford one person to go and sit there with a, with, with a manager, for example, like Pochettino, and just make sure he doesn't go on FaceTime. I'd do that. I'm, I'm available on a freelance basis to go and make sure that Pochettino doesn't speak to, uh, to, to his assistant on, on FaceTime. I quite enjoy his inventiveness. Imagine he's just in, he's not in the dressing room and he's just there at halftime FaceTiming in a halftime speech. I'm kind of like into the, the you know, aggressive guerrilla nature of his tactics. It's impossible to stop it now. It's impossible. There's too many ways to communicate for you to... Yeah, tap in Morse code into his phone. Yeah, literally. It'll get... Yeah. <laughs> Bit extreme. Yeah. But, no, Matt, I bet you know what manager like, No one can code. be tracked 24-7, so Pochettino can just be like, I'm just going to use a bathroom. Yeah. While he's in there, quickly record a voice message and ping it off and off it goes and the players hear it. Like, it's impossible. Um... Unless you lock them up somewhere for the day, well, unless you just don't, unless <laughs> you don't allow in them, in, unless you don't allow them in the stadium, that would be my my answer. If you don't allow them in the stadium at all, it's all a bit weird, and you have to watch it on TV. What about my idea? Premier League prison. Premier League prison. Right, One day okay. for that match day, they, you are locked up in a Premier League prison. We've got an idea, right? If if you send them in to the Bleacher Report offices while the game is on, we'll, we'll, get, them on we'll get them on air while the game, and then they won't be able to send any messages yeah. to their things. So I think they that's can the rank their favourite modes of communication with the bench <laughs> from here. From they here. can, right? Spin on. Would you rather win a hundred million in the lottery or get a three-year contract at your favourite club? Hmm. I mean, it doesn't say how much the contract would be worth. Let's presume it's worth less than a hundred yeah, million. Uh, I'd be taking the three-year contract. I think that'd be great. For, I mean, you might still get one. You haven't given up. I haven't given up hope, so it is possible that I'm wouldn't still. Wouldn't you be get embarrassed him. by like how poor you are compared no, no, to the no, other <laughs> no, no, obviously I wouldn't have to play. But I, imagine being three years and like learning from them and learning about like. Hey, they wouldn't ends. like you. I think they probably would. I'm quite a nice guy. Um, and they, I, I think you'd learn so much from being around a football club, around the first team workings every day. I'd probably do my coaching badges while doing this contract. Yeah. That's what I'd probably look to do uh, and use it for... So when I came out of it, I was like, yeah, I spent three years at Fulham and I did my coaching badges and now I'm... You People know, would be I'm, like, how many games do you play, mate? I'd be like, one. I got, I got a game in the League Cup with three minutes to go. <laughs> I, I, would, I would... Obviously, I would take the 100 million and not just because I would want the money but you could then use a portion of that money to become like a donor for your football club and if you donate enough say you donated like 10 million quid to Fulham right they'd let you in for a training session or like to come and ha- have a look have a look around like a, uh, like every other but week imagine or the amount of like cool gear you'd get if you were a player 
Imagine how much you could buy that if you had a hundred million. <laughs> that's, that's yeah, that's true. I think, it's not like I you'd think, be on I, bad money. I, I think no, not at all. But I think you could endear yourself to to the football club of your choice to the point that you would like with enough money and then still have about 90 million quid to buy like a really nice house and a car. That's such a sad indictment of modern football. <laughs> like, oh, you'd be better off just buying your way into the club. Well, you would. Well, of course you would, but that's not <laughs> it, isn't it? That's not the romance of the game. That's not what we fell in love with. That wasn't the question. <laughs> no, I know. Dean, what are you on? You, money. You're a money man, yeah. Yeah, I, I just want money. Cool. Like, I, I really like what I do and I, you know, I'm very happy with my life, but if you just gave me a hundred million pound, I'd be so happy. <laughs> I'd have a house here, I'd have a house in LA, I'd have a house in Spain, I'd go and watch so much. I'd just literally spend my life watching football and just flying around the world watching it and not caring. But three years being in and around the squad that you love? Nah. Really? Just the occasional charity session's fine with me. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I like watching my team from afar, I don't need to be among the squad. Actually, okay. the, the trend is that if you love if you love your team, don't go and don't yeah, go and work. Don't go and work. Don't, 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 don't look inside; it's yeah, not pretty. Not nice. Right, I'm spinning for you. Dude. Who is the best manager without a job right now? Um, okay. Who's it from? It's from Patrick Dela Cruz on Twitter. Um, Cheers, Patrick. You've given me a few seconds there to think a bit longer. So currently unemployed. Currently unemployed. Jose Mourinho. Jose Mourinho, George Jesus, Lepetegui, Antonio Conte. Mm. I think Antonio Conte, you know. That's a good one there. I think that um, he is the best manager without a job right now, particularly because he is capable of going in and quickly fixing things. Yeah. Um, Where I think a lot of them need a bit more time. Long-term project manager. Yeah, you wouldn't be looking at like singing, oh, Wenger's available, let's quickly get him in to change things around in the second half of the season. Not happening. Santiago Solari's out of a job. Forever. (laughs) Uh, I'm going with Sir Alex Ferguson. You're going with Sir Alex Ferguson. I'm going with... Yeah, I mean, that's not a bad show either. (laughs) I don't think that counts. I don't think you should be allowed to have Sir Alex Ferguson because he's retired. (laughs) That that doesn't count. Otherwise, you could just pick dead managers. Well, I think... Bella Gutman doesn't have a job right now, but he's dead. I think think Conte is a really good shout and George Jesus is the the hipster shout here. Um, Tim Sherwood? (laughs) No. (laughs) The pedigree is the shout for me. I still think it was was an absolute poison situation to come in at Madrid. Obviously, he didn't do well with those Mm. players, but also... He was kind of giving short shrift with, with what he was dealing with. He was excellent at the Spanish national team until he decided to rubbish it all up by leaving. Um, <laughs> Eloquent as ever. Yeah, well, he did. Like, you rubbish know, it all it? up. Rubbish it all up. There you are. That's one anyway, PG, rubbish you PG up and move on. Really. Yeah, I'm going Lepetegui. I still think he's got a lot to offer this world as a manager, and I hope we see him back in a job soon. Right. More nonsense. Your nonsense rankings. Let's go from nonsense you're spouting to nonsense you have to spell. My nonsense this week, a nonsense ranking, is the top three historical war figures um, as football managers. <laughs> So quite linked into what we just talked about. And I'm also going to drop in a modern day comparison as well, just so people who didn't live through these times, uh, i.e. all of us, uh, are winning. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so yeah, Dean was behind the goal as number three, Napoleon dominated his domestic division. No lie, I know him. (laughs) Interviewed him once. Went to school with him. (laughs) So Napoleon dominated France with ease. Dominated France, uh, became the first emperor of France uh, and in 1804 instituted the Napoleonic Code, which is basically like rules to live by, right? That sounds a lot like the sort of top to bottom philosophical blueprint you get from Pep Guardiola. And like Guardiola, Napoleon struggled on the continent. 
So his battles that he lost, Russia, total failure, Waterloo, we're talking 1812, 1815. You see them as his kind of semi-finals against, uh, against Real Madrid, for example, where Pep couldn't quite get over the line. So Napoleon, very good in the domestic division, record setter, you might say, but struggled to get over the line on the continent. Good, very good. As opposed to number two, Nelson. Nelson. Nelson Semedo, Horatio, Horatio Nelson, uh, heralded for his inspirational leadership, his grasp of strategy and his unconventional tactics. Now, he didn't struggle on the continent whatsoever. He fought battles in France, Spain, Denmark and even African waters. Continental success basically assured. But he did suffer from sickness, seasickness all through his life, despite being an incredible captain and admiral. It's those kind of setbacks that you come back from I draw the comparison with Jose Mourinho, who never actually had a top-level football career, but carved out a career in management at the very top level regardless. It's about overcoming those early setbacks, and Nelson did what Mourinho's done years later. Yeah, and the thing is with those battles, do they compare with the battle for the top four? I don't know, I wasn't there. Yeah, <laughs> you I were. I don't, you were. Yeah, this is the thing. I, I think back to those days, and I think it was easier to win those battles than it is to break into the top four these days. Fair enough. There we are. Yeah. Big, big call, that. Hot it, take from Dean. <laughs> it was very hot take. Spice. <laughs> so we're into number one. Is Alexander the Great? What a top man he is! He's been in two rankings. He's an absolute bloke now. Yeah. Two, two out of member the, of the two, rank squad. Two of the last three rankings. Alexander the Great has featured. He conquered lots of Europe. He never really stopped. <laughs> From Africa to Asia, he took the entire lot. Did he? He never lost a battle, but he could also rule in peace. The King of Macedonia, the pride of all of Greece. Mate, that was excellent. That was actually excellent. Fair play. And. Yeah. After he died, his empire completely fell apart. The three guys that he gave it to, they split it and it, completely, it was completely ruined. So those three guys, Antigonus, Louis Van Gaal. Antigonus, Seleucus and Ptolemy, don't know how to pronounce them. Ptolemy. Essentially, you're David Moyes of Macedon. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think one of the... that's my, why you were going with that. To, to take this back, <laughs> yeah. To take this back to its literary theme, literary theme John Milton once said okay. of Alexander the Great... And Alexander the Great looked back at all his domain and he wept, for there were no more worlds left to conquer. Yes. So that's basically it, isn't it? He's... Well, that's, that's Sir Alex Ferguson, essentially. Had the empire, nothing left to do, so he stopped. Alexander the Great obviously stopped as well for different reasons. And whoever came in after him completely ruined it. I mean, that is a genuinely good comparison. They're also I... both called Alex. <laughs> yeah. That's the main thing, I suppose. I think it. that deserves to be one of your next articles. Yeah, fantastic. That was absolutely phenomenal. Sweet. I really enjoyed well that. Well done, mate. Thanks. Really good. <laughs> well done. Like, yeah. and sometimes I'm really just left in sort of I still, splendid isolation. I've got to be honest, I've been speak. reeling all week from that stupid birthday thing last week. Yeah, that week. was bad. But this I've... was a return to top, top yeah, form from it. you. Like, really We've good. We've got the best out of you today. Yeah. And so you've, the week on the bench has done you well and you've come back fully rested and, and you've figured out how to motivate me yeah exactly well, well, done, good. well with that in the bag that's all for us this week on BR Football Ranks if you've enjoyed it especially that last bit because that was excellent and you're not already get over to iTunes or Spotify or whichever podcast platform is your favourite and hit that subscribe button while you're at it we'd love your ratings we'd love your reviews and you can always hit any of the three of us up on Twitter or Instagram and you can always keep involved with the podcast using the hashtag BR Football Ranks use the poll on Monday on Twitter which goes off the BR Football account thank you to this dynamic duo to Sam Ty thank you to Dean Jones cheers mate please keep spreading the rank gospel and getting your friends involved I've been Jack Collins we'll see you next week rank squad over and out